is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 550, recorded on Monday, September the 27th, 2021. It's 550, Jason. That's a nice round number. Halfway through the 500s. It does kind of feel like 500 was just not that long ago, but then when you think about it, it was probably almost two years ago at the the rate the world has been going lately. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe so uh, 500 was a fun one. Here we are at 550 and we're pushing on through to 600. Um, although I was I was thinking about it. If we I think if we stopped recording, if I didn't do the math, but I think if we stopped recording at the end of season 11 of The Walking Dead, we wouldn't actually make it to 600. But that that would be crazy, right? Well, we'd keep going, right? Just just to hit the milestone. We got to hit the 600. Yeah. I think we do. I, I've probably uh, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but uh, I don't recall ever doing anything in my life 550 times that I've counted before. Right. I, I'm sure I've done things 550 times and surpassed that number by great leaps and bounds. Steps, sneezes, times I've bit my fucking tongue <laughs> uh, while trying to eat, uh, all have probably reached 550, but none of these things, none of anything, that I recall where I've actually taken the time to count them. Right. Well, here you are. Now you have. We've counted up there to 550. Is. Yeah. Fancy. Well, speaking of recording, I wanted to just talk for a second about what's going on in AMC land right now, because you remember the show World Beyond, Jason, The Walking Dead World Beyond? I do. Well, it's uh, it's back for season two. <laughs> Um, AMC plus already has the premiere, uh, available. It came out yesterday. Wow. Uh, Sunday. Yeah. And it, it airs on AMC, like the regular network this coming Sunday. So it overlaps with episodes seven and eight of, of the walking dead. So what does this mean? And how are we going to do this? Um, we're not going to compromise our normal, coverage of The Walking Dead, because that's our primary focus here, right? When it is on, that's what we talk about. So what I think we'll do is record through to finish, you know, this one, and then number seven and number eight for season 11A of The Walking Dead. And then we'll probably, the week following that, do like a catch-up on World Beyond, where we do episode one and two together, or I'm not sure yet, but we'll figure that out. And we'll get caught up on that. Because if I'm not mistaken, fear <laughs> comes back in October uh, sometime, which obviously overlaps with World Beyond. So AMC, you're killing us here, guys. Killing yeah, us. Yeah, spread things out. We're going to, you know, we need a, a moment to breathe between uh, shows. But if they want to cram things all together, fine. We'll cram things together too. Like well, we can do World Beyond, we can uh, we can do a recap, and then when Fear comes back, we can do our Fear thing, and then at the end of Fear, we can come back and recap World Beyond, whatever we uh, uh, we feel like, or yeah. if Fear takes a break. Well, uh, e either way, I think we're going to be jumping all over the place for a little while there. But like I said, sticking with Walking Dead Prime right now until the first bit of season eleven is done with. Sure, that's that's the plan, anyways. 
Uh, I do, I am looking forward to season two of World Beyond much more than I was, let's say, while watching season one. <laughs> uh, there's been some some news about World Beyond season two, which I'd be surprised if you have heard of, Jason, but there's some news that got me excited about it. And so they I'm, got Sir Patrick Stewart to be on the show? Yeah, they got Patrick Stewart on the show. That's right. Sorry, Chris, it's Sir Patrick Stewart. Excuse I'm, me. I'm sorry. Sir Patrick Stewart. That's right. <laughs> Uh, no, there's some actual news about it. It's I'll, I'll say right now, it's not Pat, Sir Patrick Stewart. I, I'm sorry to say, but, um, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting what is going on with season two of world beyond. So I am looking forward to getting to that, but I don't want to jump the gun and not, you know, properly cover the last few episodes of the walking dead here. So we're going to do that. Then we'll move into world beyond and take it from there. Sure. If they can get Sir Patrick Stewart to play the poop emoji in the emoji movie, they can get him for uh, World Beyond. Is that a true statement? It's a true fact, my friend. Holy It is known. Wow. (laughs) Well, I mean, Sir Patrick Stewart can do pretty much whatever he wants, so if he he wants to to play poop, he can. No, all the power to him. (laughs) More power to him, exactly. All righty, well, let's get into it here. We are here to recap season 11 Episode number six of The Walking Dead, and sadly, I don't have a title read, so I'm just going to say it myself. It's called On the Inside. That's yeah. what we're recapping tonight. So, let's uh, get into it. We start this episode at night. We are with Connie and Virgil. Do you remember Virgil? I do. Great. They are running through the woods. They're fleeing from zombies, and they come to a fork in the road. Now, she wants to go one way. But Virgil notices a mailbox and thinks that they should go that way because a mailbox probably means a house and they can hide in this house. Uh, Mailboxes do generally mean mailing addresses of some kind. Right. So they're going to hide in this house and they get to the house. It's blocked up by walkers, but they make it to the front door and Connie breaks it open while Virgil fights off a zombie. Yep. Now they sort of crash through the door. One of the zombies falls into the house with them. He stabs it in the head. And then Connie jumps up and holds the door closed as zombies are gathering outside the door. And we go to the opening credits. Awesome. So pretty exciting, straightforward, cold open, but uh, you could feel the terror. I think you could feel the desperation in these characters as they were wondering what to do and where to go. Yep. So they go into this uh, magical, mysterious house. Yeah, it... It's definitely mysterious, and we'll we'll get on here. After the opening credits, though, uh, we are with Aaron, Carol, and Rosita, and they're discussing how they should go search for Connie because, of course, they now know that she's out there, and they're talking about who should go. Rosita suggests that they go in pairs so that they can cover the most ground and reduce the risk of being out there, and then all of a sudden, Magna runs up and asks if anyone's seen Kelly. Oh, geez. (laughs) So she's taken off. We cut over to Kelly. She's out by herself on a horse, uh, looking very determined, I thought. Very horse ridery. Horse ridery. She's a horse driver, as it were. Yeah, well, no, (laughs) she's riding the horse. All right. We've established that. You know, she's not driving the horse. She might be driving the horse, but she's riding the horse. Got it. Okay. I got my meaning. I sure do. Uh, we go back to Connie. She's inside the house, of course. She's peering through a boarded window at the zombies outside. And the place has hunting trophies all over the walls. It's really creepy. 
It seems like nobody's been there in a long time. And she takes a small hand-drawn map from her pocket with markings of a farmhouse on it. And there's other things written on it, like turn at tower, question mark? Not sure. Yeah. So I forget, Jason, have we seen this map before? Was this her drawing a map of by herself trying to remember where to go? I don't recall. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure either. Um, I started thinking like, is, is, is this a map to that like safe house where Maggie is? And it's not a very good one because she doesn't know how to get there or she's trying to remember. I wasn't quite sure, but if we've seen that before, I'm sure someone will point it out to us. Yep. Yeah. So Virgil goes upstairs to check the house. He looks in a few bedrooms and decides the place is safe. So he comes down to let Connie know. Uh, They are having trouble communicating, of course, because in case you've forgotten, Connie is deaf and uh, Virgil's not very good at communicating with her. So he grabs a notebook and starts writing things down. He uh, suggests that she needs some rest because she hasn't slept in a lot of days or a long time. But she, of course, doesn't want to. She's nervous about the house being unsafe. Um, she looks out the window again and we have a quick flash of the cave caving in. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so that's sort of her PTSD rearing. Its yeah. She's head, got some imagine. flashback issues here. For sure. Really just in this scene though. Right. But I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing, obviously being locked, not locked, being, uh, stuck in a cave that's collapsing around you. Yeah. That's like some people's worst nightmare. Well, yeah, Exactly. Including mine, uh, you know, claustrophobia, for sure. All right. Well, Connie, uh, after her brief flash there, she goes to check the house again. So she doesn't really trust that Virgil gave it a good sweep. Um, We go over to Carver, and he's torturing Frost. So now we're with the the Reapers again, Mm -hmm. or the Chosen Ones, whatever we're going to call them. He's doing fingernail shit. Oh, he pulls his fingernail off. And I thought of you because I figured this would upset you. I'm not so much this kind of stuff because it's so uh, over the top and uh, not real. It's uh, it's real stuff that freaks me out more than anything. But uh, uh, yeah, it was right on the line. But it was so, I'm not sure. This episode was directed by Greg Nicotero, so I was expecting better but it didn't really phase me for some reason. Okay. Well, I mean, fingernail ripping is one of those things you see in movies when they want to torture someone, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that's always threatened. Pliers come out and grab someone's fingernail. Uh, I think it's super gross. I think it would be super painful and, uh, I don't like seeing it, but this was pretty quick and, I'm I'm almost a little desensitized to it now because I've seen it so many times, I think. Uh yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe that's the same for you cuz you're a you don't like the hand you're the hand injury guy, you don't like those, so I really don't. I don't know. Anyways, they're torturing Frost again for more information. Leah and Pope come in with Daryl to uh give it a try, I guess. And Pope asks if this bothers Daryl and he says he's done worse. So now it's Daryl's turn to interrogate and torture Frost. So first Daryl puts him in a headlock and he tries to tell the other people in the room that he doesn't need a babysitter. I think what he was trying to do there is get Carver to leave them alone, like get Carver and Pope to leave the room. Yeah. 
he, he was. He was trying to get uh, trying to do this by himself. He didn't need people hovering over him. Yeah, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He doesn't need a supervisor there, right? Yeah. But nobody leaves, so Daryl continues the torture. He wants the location of Maggie and her people. He threatens to cut off one of Frost's fingers, and he actually does. Yeah, with his big old knife. He chops Frost's finger off when he refuses to give up the information. He threatens to do another one, and then Frost tells them about a yellow house with an antenna that they're hiding in, gives them a location. So Pope instructs Daryl, Leah, and Carver to take a squad and investigate. So I have a few thoughts about this scene. Um, first of all, I think I'm getting a little tired of seeing people torture other people on this show because there's been so much of it lately. Well, I actually wanted to, to talk about that. It was one of the things that, uh, that I thought of while watching this. And it, it, it seems to me like an executive at AMC went to, uh, you know, went to the writer's room and said, you know what we need this season? Uh, I think that it would really step up the uh, step up the drama of the show. We need to have a lot more torture and a lot more horse gore. If we can have yeah. a lot of horse gore, because we get that a little bit later, uh, and, a, and a bunch of torture scenes, I think that would really, really make this show pop. You know, it just, it seems like an executive kind of bunch of bullshit. Well, I mean, it's really annoying. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw Daryl get tortured. He was waterboarded. We saw Aaron torturing Keith last time. And now Daryl is the torturer and it's against his own guy too. Like I know he's trying to keep up the charade here. Right. But he actually cuts the cuts Frost's finger off. Um, so I didn't really find this all that fun to watch. And I mean, I started thinking, is the show using kind of torture as a crutch a little bit to to amp things up or, or what they think is amp things up or maybe show how sort of dark and desperate characters are? You know, I think that's how I felt with Aaron last time um, here. I mean, I guess the understanding is that Daryl is doing this in order to, like I said, keep up the charade of, of sort of not being with these people and being deeper into the Reapers than he actually is. Or is it just like they feel like torture is a good way to communicate plot information? You know, we need to know something about the Whisperers last time. So torture a guy. We need to... We need to get Pope the information about where Maggie's hiding. So torture a guy and we'll get it. Like... I don't know. I'm I'm tired of watching torture, Walking Dead. So let's move on from it if we can. Yeah, you can get more out of a person by having a conversation and then giving the guy a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, right? probably. That, that's a better way of getting information out of people than cutting their fingers off. Because cutting their fingers off just you know puts them in the shock. Uh, basically, they become useless at that point, uh, except for in TV and movies. Yeah, yeah, totally. And but I then again, I don't really know anything about actual torture. So I'm just speculating. Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, I did feel bad for Frost in this scene, though, because the first time I watched it through, I was really like, what the hell is Daryl doing? Like, he's actually cutting fingers off of his, you know, new friend here, but his friend nonetheless. But on the second watch, it was clearer to me that Daryl was actually 
you know, trying to keep up the facade because there's that scene where he kind of, he leans forward into Frost and says, I know you're close to her, close enough to know where they're hiding. And I almost expected Daryl to wink at him at that point, right? It's like, just play along. I've got a plan. You know, let's, let's do this here. Reveal something. We'll, I'll figure this out. But then Frost doesn't seem to get it at first. Daryl has to cut his finger off anyways. And I almost think it would have been more interesting if it was somehow communicated better that Daryl was, was working on something here. And he just wanted Frost to reveal some information to get him out of this bad situation, you know? Yeah, but that could also have a negative impact uh, if, if he didn't actually torture Frost uh, and he gave up information that might just confirm that the two of them are in cahoots. Yeah, that's right? true. He wouldn't give any information to other schmuck there guy, uh, but as soon as Daryl comes in, so they're okay, I've had enough. They're in the yellow house with the, the antenna. It's like, uh, well, that was easy. Yeah. Um, uh, that's weird. <laughs> you know, so maybe... Uh, uh, maybe Daryl knew that he had to do something right. that was ultimately not life-threatening, but put on a good show. Uh, fair enough. That's probably true, actually, now that you say that. Um, but still, poor Frost. I mean, the guy had to have his finger cut off. He he's had the shit beaten out of him. You know, he is not having a good couple of days, that guy. Yeah. Uh, why people hold out during torture, I have no idea. It's just like, okay, showing me a pair of hot pliers, <laughs> what do you need to know? I'll tell you anything you want. What do you want? I got, I'll tell you what you want to know. I'll tell you stuff you don't want to know. If you want to know about my, uh, you know, my miniature car collection, I'll tell you all about that. (laughs) Let's start there if you want. Yeah. See if that has any interest to you. No, we'll move on to something else. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on in the episode. Connie, we're back with her. She's exploring the house. She finds a bunch of portraits up in an, upstairs hallway with all the eyes covered in some kind of white goopy stuff sort of looked like whiteout or or that that uh, pasty stuff called that you used to fill holes in drywall like i'm not even sure yeah uh, but that's what was all over these these paintings anyways what well, could be uh, it looks like they were scratched out to me like is it i thought it, i thought yeah. it looked like goopy stuff on them but okay uh, maybe it's both could have been both could have been both so she's exploring and Something really cool happens here. The episode goes silent to give us a feeling for Connie's experience, right? And mm-hmm. um, Michael in Ozark, Missouri writes, holy crap, what a great episode. Those scenes with Connie and no sound. How creepy was that? And I got to agree, like, I found it really quite effective, an effective way of, of uh, giving us an idea for what she'd be experiencing in a situation like that, like terrifying, but also yep. silent. Yep. You know? No, it was really well done. Really, really cool. So she goes into an old dirty bathroom uh, through, she looks in the medicine cabinet and through a hole in the wall, she suddenly sees an eye staring back at her. It's quite the jump scare. She runs back downstairs to tell Virgil they're not alone and she has trouble communicating with him. So... Again, she has trouble, so she carves a message into a painting that says, not alone. We have a frogger. A frogger? What do you mean? A frogger. It's a, it's a term, it's a real term for uh, a real thing with a P-H, P-H-R-O-G. Uh, so frogging is when uh, somebody lives in your house and you don't know that they're there. Uh, so this kind of shit has happened many times in the past where people would 
be living in somebody's house in a crawl space or in the attic or something like that. And when the whole family goes to sleep, they sneak out and steal food, use the bathroom, uh, take a shower, that kind of stuff. Or when they're at work, they, <laughs> right. uh, they do all their kind of stuff and they get caught because people come home early and realize, I don't recall putting something in the microwave and it dinging right now. <laughs> Kind where, of thing. Where does the term come from, Frogger? I have no idea, but that's uh, that's that's the term for when somebody lives in your house and you don't know that they're there. Interesting. I I I am aware of this uh, phenomenon. I mean, it feels like the kind of thing that's it's more of an urban legend than anything. But if it is real, remember we reviewed a movie a long time ago called The Uninvited Guest that was yep. uh, dealing with that topic. So. I'd have to go back and figure out what episode that was on, but cool movie. If you want to go check that out. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see if, uh, so Frogging Israel, uh, I just don't see, I'll, I'll read this little article here and see if I can find out where the term comes from. All right. Well, anyways, she's got a frogger. She's got someone looking back at her through a hole in the wall. After a commercial break, we are with the Reapers. They are approaching the yellow house that Frost mentioned. They flank out around it to approach from both sides. And Daryl ends up on his own approaching it, and he shakes a downed power line that's sort of resting over a minivan before going in. And we see that inside the house, Maggie sees the wires moving. Uh-oh. So somebody has warned her. Daryl has warned her. So they break into the house. They look around. They don't find anybody inside. Daryl says that they should stick around in case they're still here. And Leah instructs them to search the town. The only problem I have with this is Leah's long coat. She, I don't know why she <laughs> thinks she's in the Matrix, but uh, if she was a real uh, military asset, she would not be wearing that fucking thing. Uh, think of superheroes with capes. It's just a dumb idea. It's just going to get stuck in something or someone's going to grab it. You know, you don't You're need a trip on it. Long coat. Uh, yeah. Something. Yeah. To get, get rid of the long coat. Yeah. It's funny. One of the, one of the, my favorite parts of the boys, that Amazon prime TV show yep. is when Homelander's walking around with his cape on and he has to sit down or something like that. He always has to grab it and bunch it up and move it out of the way. And you just don't see that usually on other superhero shows, but I think the boys does a really good job with it does kind of making that funny in a way without making it obvious, you know? Yeah. It's like peeing with a tie. It's just a dumb idea. You flip the tie over your shoulder so that you don't get it all full of urine. Well, I don't know how far down your ties hang, but I was going to say, I would think brushing your teeth with the tie because the tie is going to hang into the sink when you bend over to spit or whatever. I'd brush my teeth before the tie. Always. Maybe after the tie. I mean, the, the amount of times that I wear a tie and the amount of, uh, the length of time that I wear a tie, uh, teeth brushing doesn't get in the way, but urinating sometimes do. Okay. It's just, it's just a thing you do, right? It's just to, to get, uh, to make sure it doesn't accidentally get into the urinal or what have you. Sure. I mean, it would be like peeing with a tie on or trying to take a dump with a cape on. It's tough. Yeah, taking a dump with a cape on, I can't even imagine. <laughs> no, of course not. All well, right. I don't think it'd be a problem because if you're wearing a superhero outfit, you'd have to take the whole thing off. You'd be pooping nude, right? <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So the cape would be off. Uh, yeah. You just basically, okay, now I have to be nude in order to poop because I'm wearing this stupid superhero costume. Really seems like it puts you in a pretty vulnerable situation. Which you I don't, don't even know how the actors do it. 
Like, can you imagine being like fucking Scarlett Johansson wearing a Black Widow outfit? And, uh, you know, between uh, shots, she raises her hand and says, I got, I got to poop. And then the whole fucking production goes into like a 30 to 40 minute break uh, while six people help her into, uh, out of and then into her costume again so that she can take a fucking dump. Yep. I'm sure these are the things I think about. I'm sure that's how it goes. <laughs> Watch a movie, that's all I can think about. Like, how do they poop in that thing? I'm gonna try to never think about that again. Yeah. All right. Well, we go over to Kelly. She's on her horse. She comes to a camp in the woods. We find more dead horses. So here we've got our horse gore. Yep. Um she finds an orange backpack and a bag with her slingshot in it. She finds the orange backpack. Uh, forgive me, the orange backpack. Right. Yeah. There is only it's nice one. Nice to see it again. It is. We couldn't get through all season 11 without the orange backpack, right? Yeah. I'm starting to think that the backpack is also a sentient being. It's not just Lucille. We got a couple of, uh, we got a couple of magic items here going. Okay. Uh, going around. Why not? The backpack, unfortunately, is cursed. Mm. So uh, you put it on, you die, I think is the way it works. Yeah. So be careful with that thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, she also finds a notepad with some messages in it, including wondering where Michonne is, uh, noting that she left to look for someone, and a note uh, about feeling like, quote, we are being watched and it's late, we'll pack up at first light. So just handwritten notes, clearly indicating that Kelly was here or this was her camp or, or whatever. I mean, uh, Connie. Kelly's yep. the one finding the notes. Uh, back in the house, Virgil is investigating the hole in the bathroom wall. He thinks that maybe Connie imagined it because she hasn't slept in days, but of course she insists that he, uh, she insists and he agrees to give the house another sweep, you know, why not? So she walks out and as they're going through the hall in this house, one of the halls, a wall suddenly slides out behind her, separating Connie and Virgil. And we go back into silent mode here now because we're with Connie. She's terrified. She's moving through the halls of this house. We get a glimpse of some kind of creature following or, or stalking behind her. And then suddenly a human, mostly naked on all fours, is chasing after her. She makes it into a room and closes the door behind her and we go to a commercial break. This has got to be some kind of uh, prop house, right? Like people don't make houses with this amount of crawl spaces and stuff. Well, the th the only part of this that made me question things a little bit is the sliding wall. Like why would there be a wall that slides out to block a hallway like that? Unless it's some kind of mystery haunted murder house that's supposed yeah. to do things like that. Well, it, it, it kind of reminded me of the, uh, the murder hotel from, uh, that was owned by H.H. H. Holmes, I think it was, the, uh, a serial killer, or they call him America's first serial killer. It was back in the 1800s or whatever it was. Okay. But he made this hotel that was all fucked up as far as, uh, like hallways didn't make sense. Uh, you'd open a door that looked like it was going to a, a hotel room, but it would be another hallway instead of stairs going upstairs. And it was just a complete maze. And a lot of people speculated that, uh, like it had secret doors and right. crawl spaces and stuff like this all over the place. It was designed and built this way on purpose. Um, a lot of people think that, uh, 
it was because he wanted to confuse people that he wanted to get in there and murder. But in fact, he had a whole bunch of scams going on and he wanted to confuse uh, the law when they wanted to come in and search the place for his uh, stolen bikes. Oh my gosh. So uh, he built this place and it was all confusing. So it reminded me of that uh, just because this place had to be have been purposefully built for this situation. Like people don't just build houses and then leave uh, a two foot walkway between walls. Like, right. ah, fuck it. I'm just going to leave that there. Maybe I'll make a secret passage. Uh, you know, the guy who did um, the security, Sahara games, uh, King's Quest. Right. Uh, the guy made a lot of money from those games. The guy who designed, first designed those. Mm-hmm. And he built a house that had secret doors and walls and stuff like that because it was fun and he made a bunch of money from a friggin' video game about, uh, uh, you know, King's Quest and stuff. So he did that, but that's fun. This house, there's no way that people would build this house with these features, not on purpose. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but maybe it was done on purpose. Like I can, I can handle the space inside the walls. Uh, it's just the sliding door thing. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to, to separate two characters than have them walk down a hall and suddenly a wall appears in between them. Right. There, 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 there has to have been a, a better way to do that. Now, that being said, I think a huge part of this episode was simply that they were trying to make it feel like, you know, an old haunted house type movie. And they were just going for that feeling. They were going for that aesthetic. It was influenced by that kind of thing. And in, in many ways, they really succeeded in doing that. And this kind of thing where a wall just appears out of nowhere, that's from that kind of, you know, uh, genre of film. So with that in mind, I kind of didn't mind it too much. And I think this was the only time a wall appeared out of nowhere. Right. Uh, in in the episode, like there's other things going on and stuff like that, yeah. but this was there's a the, hole in the wall. You know, right. she gets in there. We'll talk about that. And then the the guy crawls under. Uh, uh, looks like there's a gap in the wall. That, but I think this is the only secret passage doorway that we see. Yeah, gaps, holes. You know, space in inside walls like that is fine. This was the only thing that sort of I was like, really, come on. But then at the same time. They were going for like haunted house genre style and it sort of works when you put it in that context. So although it jumped out at me the first time I watched it, I kind of got used to it quick. Right. And when I watched this a second time, I'm like, oh, yeah, here comes the wall again. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) Anyways, after the commercial break, we go back to Daryl and his group of Reapers. They kick in the door and they enter the house that Maggie and the gang are actually hiding in. So I have to admit, I was momentarily confused here because I actually thought the first house they were in was the place that they were hiding in, but, um, but it wasn't. That was, so I guess Frost said yellow house. They went into yep. that one first. Maggie and the gang are in a different colored house. Yes. In oh. a secret bunker? Yeah. Well, they're in a secret bunker, but um, the only reason I say I was confused is because I thought they were in the house to begin with, but they weren't. And now they're in the actual house. The reason I think it was a little confusing is because for me anyways, when Daryl shakes that wire before they go into the first house, it seems like he's warning them in that house that we're coming in. So hide. 
but right. she's watching him do that from a different house. And I thought maybe that was just a little bit of uh, wacky editing, you know, maybe they could have put the warning scene later before they were going into the right house. But again, not that big a deal. It just, maybe I'm dumb and it confused me, right? It, it was a bit of a misdirection uh, for sure. And we get that again in a, in a few minutes. Well, they're in there. Uh, they, again, they look around, they don't find anyone, but Daryl realizes that there is a secret cellar under the rug. And uh, he knows this because he sees light shining up through, uh, you know, beneath the rug. So he suggests that, well, nobody's here. They must have run off and he wants to track them. But Carver's like, hey, Daryl, a few minutes ago, you wanted to stick around and look for people, but now you want to like leave? Why are you being so inconsistent, man? And then Leah steps in and tells them to stop bickering and questions if Daryl is either with them or not. Yep. And why aren't the, uh, why aren't they wearing their masks? I thought they wore their masks when they did combat maneuvers. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the, the Reapers started off as this mask wearing group of like super brutal, super capable like killers. And now they just seem like a bunch of regular people that wear masks hanging on their belts. I know what you mean. They should have had the masks on. Yeah, I, I think we're suffering from Spider-Man syndrome, where uh, Spider-Man wears a mask, except for when you need, need to see the actor's face, because who wants to watch fucking Spider-Man mask talking for two hours? Well, the best thing that Marvel did with Spider-Man is make his eyes, the, the mask eyes move, right? In Tobey Maguire, yeah. the eyes on the mask didn't move, but you can portray so much emotion with eyes. Now, Tom Holland takes his mask off all the time, too. I'll you know, I'll say Yeah, that. well, he's got, the, he's got the Iron Man suit on, right? So he yeah. can, it just flips open and closed, and it just makes it easy rather than going, oh, I'm just going to take the mask off, put it back on, take it off, put it back on. So why does Spider-Man wear a mask? I don't know. Who's he? Everybody knows who he is anyway, pretty much. Anyway. Well, no, the public at large doesn't know who he is. He needs to keep his identity secret from them and from bad guys so that the bad guys can't hurt the people he loves. Except for when he needs to have a conversation. And then the mask comes off. Okay, fine. But that's he that that's the reason he wears the mask, right? But yes, he takes it off a little too much, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Agreed. to be fair, the uh, the Reapers are wearing their masks on their belts. It just <laughs> uh, doesn't make a lot of sense as to uh, you know maybe when they're trying to make a point. Uh huh. Like I like I said before, just uh, it's a lot of theater, right? When they're trying to do theater, they wear the masks. In this case, they're doing an actual operation, which doesn't warrant the masks. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe they only wear the masks when they're encountering someone new, but they know everybody here, so they figure they don't need to. I don't know. They're just a bunch of theater posers. They like to wear crazy. masks over their crotches instead of their faces. You know, why not? Crotch, don't crotch we all, mask. really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we go over to Kelly. She is leading her horse through some mud. She falls into it. And then Carol, Magda, and Rosita show up and come to her aid and pick her up. She shows them the notebook she found and says that she's with a guy who knew Michonne. So they decide to get moving and search for her. Search for uh, Connie, that is. Back to Connie. She is hiding behind the door. Uh, and I guess it was a door to a basement because she goes down some steps and she finds this room. She ends up in just strewn with bones all over the floor, human and otherwise. Uh, suddenly there's a bunch of commotion and grunting sounds. So she crawls into a large vent 
and ends up inside the walls. So now she's Those... in, inside this wall separation area. Yep. Those bones are very clean. Like they were scoured and bleached and uh, dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it, it was pretty neat to see those bones. They spent a lot of time. Those weird people who are also theater people, I assume. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to shit on theater people. I like theater people. Uh, but they seem very theatrical. <laughs> they have this, uh, you know, this magic house. Maybe this, maybe they were performers in this haunted house uh, before the zombie apocalypse and they just kind of went with it. Maybe. Right. And then eventually just lost it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they have all these prop bones. I assume they're prop bones because, you know, if you are gnawing at flesh and uh, eating it down to the bone, (laughs) don't pick them that clean. You got to boil them and then get all the flesh off and then dry them. And then you got to take care of the bones to, uh, to get them that pristine. Yeah. Well, I think what the show was trying to indicate to us is that these feral people living in this house, uh, were so desperate and so hungry that they ate everything they possibly could off of these bones. At one point, one of them is attacking someone and actually says hungry or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I think that's what they were going for here. But you're right. Those were some clean, nice, properly maintained bones. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Connie's stuck inside the wall. She's totally terrified and she ends up looking out the hole into the bathroom where she previously saw the eye. So now Connie's the eye. Well, that, that's, that's the first thing I would do is if she had mentioned to me that I saw an eye in the bathroom, in a hole in the bathroom, uh, we're not alone. Uh, and then the thing, thought was, we have to check this house out. It's like, no, go to the fucking hole and dig through the wall and see if there's a crawl space back there. If there's a crawl space back there, then you got people. Yeah, they have a right? big knife. They have stuff. You know, they could have carved into that hole a little bit. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's like the, the, a clue slapped them across the face and they went somewhere else. <laughs> yep, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, So she's in the wall. We see Virgil. He's hiding in a room with one of the monsters thumping at the other side of the door. So Connie has made her way to a hole where she can see him now. And... She watches him block the door with furniture and she starts thumping on the wall, which gets his attention. Virgil is slowly approaching the hole in the wall, wondering what's behind there. Meanwhile, one of these monster people crawls out behind him. It stands up and attacks him from behind and we go to a commercial break. Yes. These people and their their paint, their makeup was really nice too. Like it was, uh, they took some time to make sure that they were all nice and gray. All right. Well, we come back from our break and Virgil's trying to fight this thing off. Connie's watching through the hole, kind of panicking. This is where the monster says hungry. And Virgil manages to stab it. It crawls away, but he's still not sure what's behind the wall. And he starts plunging his big knife through, just assuming there's another monster in there. Luckily, he doesn't hit Connie. And she's eventually able to rip out a hole big enough to get her arm through. So then he pulls at it a bit and pulls her out of the wall. Nice. So good. Over to Daryl, claiming to Carver that they must have run away. And in doing so, 
he so they're standing in the house still they're standing on top of the room where maggie and everyone is hiding daryl's talking he says things like he mentions that there's 20 people in the reaper's town with weapons and walls and stuff like that and what he's doing is he's kind of informing maggie what he knows about these people because he knows they're hiding below he's transferring information to her yep daryl and carver start arguing again but leah cuts in once more says it's time to go uh, Carver says that they both know who Daryl really is down deep. He says to Leah, I was there. Remember after, do you think this is going to end any different? What's Carver getting at here? I was hoping you would tell me. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm not totally sure. Like, is he talking about when Leah came back to the Reapers after spending that time with Daryl when we first met her? Um, is there, does Carver sort of know that there's a past relationship here with them and he doesn't quite trust Leah, maybe? I'm I'm just not sure. He said, I was there after. Do you think this is going to end any different? So I don't know. I'm, I think maybe you're right. I think maybe there, he, the, he is talking about when Daryl left, uh, but didn't know that he had come back because Leah didn't know that he had come back. Yeah. Uh, so is this going to end any different? He's going to, he's going to leave you. He's going to leave again. Right. Uh, he's not really with us. He's a loner. He's a lone wolf. So, uh, he can't be trusted. I think that makes sense. Yeah. He's going to take off again. So he's not truly one of us. Yeah. That, that makes some sense. Good. Uh, and then the amazing thing here is Leah now suddenly questions him about knowing that Pope locked her in with Daryl and lit that building on fire a couple episodes ago. So this confirms to me that Leah didn't know that was the plan and she was thrown in there uh, unknowing and I guess Pope and everyone just hoped she got out. So that makes me think about that scene a little bit differently now because if she didn't know that was the plan when she got out, she still, remember, walked back over to the Reaper's side and turned to face Daryl which is something considering those people just tried to, well, just put her in a situation that would have caused her great harm had uh, she not been able to get out of that building. Yeah, that kind of undermines uh, all kinds of stuff. So when she said, just follow my lead to Daryl when he was in the, uh, before the fire started, uh, you know, she was kind of turncoating. She was kind of uh, going to try and get Daryl out of that. But then when they started the fire... Uh, they were trying to see if Daryl would survive. And I mm-hmm. guess they assumed that she would because uh, everybody's gone through trial by fire uh, before. Yep. So they're all uh, immo- um, invulnerable to that kind of thing. But still, it's a it's a, it's a bitch of a betrayal. Uh, you know, you go into a room and they set it on fire uh, and then she becomes a useless person for a while uh, until Daryl saves her. Or she kind of, you know, pointed out the, the middle bar, but anyway, it's, uh, it kind of puts a, a different spin on things. And she did not offer to sacrifice herself in order to prove Daryl's worth. So that's not a thing either. Right. So it's a, it's a bit weird. Yeah. It's all very strange. And her willingness to just come back. I, I mean, unless the only thing I can think of is in that moment, she's like, well, we're all about trial by fire. And this was this was one of these trials and I passed. So I, I truly am with these people, yeah. but, but I, I don't, yeah, it, there's some conflicting things here, the way, the way I see it. Uh, anyways, uh, 
Carver responds to Leah that Daryl doesn't and will never be one of them. So he's, he's still on this. Daryl actually agrees with this, which is funny, but he says he's here for one reason, that being Leah. Says he made mistakes before, but Pope scares the shit out of him. But if Leah says to trust him, that's what he'll do. So um, I, think, I think, again, this is, this is actually a, a little bit I really liked because it's kind of genius on Daryl's part, I think. He's, he's basically giving them a single, like, really good reason for helping these people, but he doesn't claim to really be a part of their gang or their philosophy, you know? He's like, you're right, I'm not totally with you, but I do have this really good reason, her standing over there, for, for doing what I'm doing right now, so you're going to have to trust me. Yeah, you know this uh, this whole season is a masterclass in how to tell a lie. It it is another good example of that. You're absolutely right. All right, but just as they're about to leave, uh, of course, Carver finally notices the light coming through the carpet, so he opens the floor panel, finds nobody down there, and we cut to a quick shot of Maggie and everyone sneaking out like an external cellar door. So there was another exit. There was a back door. <laughs> Can you explain the purpose of this cellar? Um, keeping potatoes in. Why would it be in the living room? Well, I mean, my grandparents, uh, up in North Bay, they had a root cellar that was under the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my grandpa had, uh, cut a hole in the floor, uh, you know, r- took out the piece of wood, dug down, because I didn't have a basement, dug down about, uh, 10 feet or whatever, just to make a, a spot in the dirt where they stored their preserves and such, and then put hinges on the friggin' hatch and then put it in the, uh, in the kitchen. It was great fun. I fucking loved it. Uh, me and my brother would go down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down in the, into that root cellar. It was awesome. But it was in the kitchen and it wasn't that big. This one, it, when, when he opened it, it was just a piece of wood with a see-through handle on it. Like you just, mm-hmm. uh, you could see through it. So it wasn't really a hinge thing. It was just a piece of wood in the dining room or wherever it was. Uh, he lifted it up. It was perfectly clear concrete inside. Like it was just perfectly clean. There was nothing in there. Uh, it was well lit, which is why Daryl saw the light coming through. And it had another exit, obviously, because uh, that's how they got out of the house. Yep. So- I cannot, it's not a safe room. It's not a bomb shelter because it just had a friggin' piece of wood with a big hole in it for a handle covering it. It had a different exit. I can't for the life of me figure out what the fuck this hole in this house was for. Well, let me, let me try. Um, I, I went and looked at a house one time that was for sale and it was an old house and it had a basement that had a very narrow sort of curvy not winding, but like a staircase that took a couple of turns down to the basement at the back of the house, very narrow. Right. And actually in the dining room of that house, there was a hatch in the floor that opened up, you lifted it out and it opened up into the basement. There was no ladder. There was no stairs there, nothing. It was just a hole into the basement. And I believe that was so that you could get larger objects from the upstairs to the basement because you wouldn't be able to say, you know, drop a, drop an easy chair or get an easy chair down the staircase because it was narrow and bendy. So they make this hatch somewhere else that you can remove temporarily, load stuff in or, or lower it down, for example, and then replace the floor. So I wonder if it was something like that. Okay. All right. So it was a, it was a hatch to lower, uh, 
man cave stuff it, down. So it was you a could have a yeah. yeah. You know my you know to be fair my uh, my friend Steve did that with uh, he bought a TV once that was like a sixty inch television that he couldn't fit down his stairs that he wanted down there. So they just uh, they got up the old reciprocating saw and cut a fucking <laughs> hole in the floor and then lowered it down between the uh, the joists. Well, there you go. Uh, and then repaired the floor. <laughs> yep. And that TV stay in there forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's, that's it. That's where that TV goes now. It's the same as our freezer. I don't know how they got the friggin', uh, they got this huge deep freeze that we bought with the house. It has since broken, but it's in the back of the basement. There's no way to get it out. It's too big to fit around the stairs. I'm going to have to cut it into three pieces in order to get it out of the house. That sounds like a pain in the ass. That's a fucking, when we sell the house and need to move problem. Right. That's not a, that's not a now problem. It's clean. It's dry. Uh, it's closed. Uh, I'm not touching it. It's just a place to put shit on until someday when I decide to cut it into pieces to get it out of that room. All right. Well, that's what I think of. I think that's what I think is going on here anyways. So they're hiding down there and they've, they've now escaped and it was kind of with Daryl's help. We see Carol and everybody come to that same fork in the road that Connie and Virgil were at the beginning, and they let Kelly decide which way to go. And I guess she just chooses the right direction, even though we see that the mailbox has been knocked down and is no longer visible. Is that is that what was going on here? Because they showed something uh, knocked down sort of in the long grass. Uh, yep, that was the mailbox. I don't know why yeah. they decided to show that well i don't i don't like this at all because the mailbox at the beginning is what gave is what told them which way to go it's like mailbox means house go to the house you're looking for shelter maybe it's safe turns out not so much but you know they were thinking along the right lines so now we have these other characters show up and kelly they're like which way to go and she decides so what was it dumb luck like doesn't it make more sense I think from a storytelling perspective and just like a character decision perspective that Kelly ends up using the same logic that Connie did of mailbox. That must mean house. So let's go that way. It just feels like it would be a good opportunity for the show to tell us, oh, look, these two characters are aligned. They're in sync. They think the same way and they don't even realize it. And that's why they're they're so close, you know, Um, but no. It's just dumb luck that Kelly goes the right way. I don't. I didn't understand what, why they decided to knock the mailbox down here. Didn't Virgil say something about uh, they led us here or they herded us like prey or something? So were they brought to the house and then once they were in the house, they got rid of the uh, the direction finder so that nobody else would come to the house? Did he say that? So he's he's saying that these like monster people that walk around on all fours and eat people raw. <laughs> Wait a minute. And they're not actually zombies are, are doing that. They're like luring well, people there and then taking the mailbox away. Well, he says, I've never seen people this far gone to hurt us. Uh, what does he say? I've never seen people this far gone. Sorry. Wait for him to say it to hurt us like prey. So he might be referring to getting him to the house, which is what I initially thought, or maybe once they're in the house, they are using scare tactics to get them into a particular place in order to eat them. 
Well, I mean, you're talking about the basically the next scene in the episode when we're back with yeah. Connie and Virgil hiding and talking about, yeah, you're right, never having seen people this far gone. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what he means by that. I sort of assumed it was like inside the house. They're sort of terrorizing us in this house. But herd is an interesting word to use there because they're not really hurting them, right? They're just sort of terrorizing them and trying to eat them, ta- attack them. Yeah, so if they herded them to the house, right. then the mailbox would be part of that herding technique, and maybe they, they took down the mailbox because they didn't need it anymore for that particular uh, situation that they were in. So that's the only real thing, but that doesn't make a lot of sense either, but that's the only thing I can really think of. I mean, I can sort of see that, but I, I still think it is, I still think it takes away from Kelly making the same decision as Connie did when they're at that fork in the road. I like that as a bit of like character synchronicity better than the idea that these monster people are hurting people towards their house so that they can eat them uh, and then have the wherewithal to like take the mailbox up and down every time they need more people to come. That seems like something we could have just done without and maybe had the mailbox thing instead with with the two characters but that's just me i don't know yeah oh i agree with you all right well they're in there connie and virgil they're talking about uh how well they're gonna get out at least virgil is he says no matter what happens connie has to keep going no matter what happens to him he gives her his big knife but she says no they're gonna get out together and uh virgil also in this scene reminds us that he was lost and michonne put him on the right path And he said that path led straight to Connie. So all he wants to do is help her find her family. But she reiterates, nope, we're doing this together, buddy. We're getting out of here together. Awesome. Now, suddenly there's more groaning and thumping and they run out back into the halls trying to escape the house. Now there seems to be a whole bunch of these human monsters. They seem to be uh, multiplying. So Virgil smashes a couple as they're running away. One of them jumps down on top of him, but he st- uh, and, oh, and stabs him a few times in the back. So now Virgil's injured. Connie gets it with her knife, but loses the knife. And the monster backs off and she drags Virgil out of the room. Now that monster was a woman. And I can't for the life of me detect uh, a top. I think she was a topless woman that jumped off that uh, wardrobe onto uh, Virgil's back. Okay. And so, you know, it was tastefully hidden so that we didn't see uh, anything, but I'm pretty sure that that was a woman and she wasn't wearing, she was only wearing the, the, uh, the bottoms, the same as everybody else. The loincloth. Yes. The loincloth or shorts or whatever the, uh, you know, maybe it was the Hulk, the Hulk pants where, uh, <laughs> they just, no matter what else happens, the, the Hulk pants stay on. Yeah. No matter what. Uh, I, it's funny. I believe that was a woman, but. It never really occurred to me that she was naked from the waist up, but you're right. They hid everything, so. She had really long hair, and that, uh, I guess that works as a shirt in certain circumstances. I, I think so, yeah. I've seen that before. <laughs> well, uh, they make it to the front door, Connie and Virgil, but they are trapped with monsters coming at them from a few directions. And by monsters, I mean the feral people in this house, not the zombies. There is a dead walker on the floor, however, so Connie quickly rips into it, 
covers herself in gore and opens the front door, letting in a stream of walkers. And these walkers all attack the monster people while Connie and Virgil hide behind the door. So pretty good plan. Yeah. Use the zombies as a weapon. We take a quick break and when we come back, we are with Connie and Virgil. They're stumbling outside. So he has, uh, so they've obviously made it out, but he's hurt. Of course, he was stabbed in the back. He falls down. Two more of this seemingly never-ending supply of monster people come out of the house after them. Connie stands up, turns to to face them, but suddenly Kelly is there, takes them down with her slingshot. The rest of the ladies show up, kill some surrounding zombies, and Connie and Kelly reunite, hugging and crying, and in a rather tense and stressful, you know, moment, it's a really nice little moment, actually. Hooray. Hooray. Now we just need Heath to come back and we'll be all set. Everybody will be back. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel about suddenly at the end here, Jason, there seems to be all kinds of these like monster people in this house. Whereas at the beginning, it felt like there was maybe one or two in there and that was it. I thought once they got out, they're like, okay, they're free of that. But now they have zombies around them, which is also bad. But then two more of them came out of the house. So... I felt like there was suddenly a lot of them all of us, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah, well, like you said, they they multiply. They just uh, they just divide, I guess, as needed. Uh, Never-ending you know, supply. Yeah, never-ending supply. We've seen bad guys in comics do that before, right? Where they just, uh, bang, there's two of us. Now now you have to fight two. Oh, you've killed one. Now there's four. Oh, my gosh. Take that. Logic and reasoning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those things mean nothing around here. Yeah. Anyway, so they're reunited. That's exciting. Before the end of the episode, we go back to Daryl, Leah, and Carver. They're returning to the Reaper's hideout. Pope is outside waiting for them. So they report that Maggie and her people were there, but they slipped away. They didn't catch them. And Pope says that after they left, he continued the discussion with Frost, and he got everything he needed out of him. Uh, we don't know what that is yet. We don't know if that's true. We don't know what Frost may or may not have said, but that's what Pope claims. Yeah, more dramatic unknowns, because he might have spilled the beans on Daryl, right? Yeah, that's very so, true. So uh, we don't know. We don't know what's going on, and uh, so instead of be- Daryl being ingrained in the uh, in the group, now we don't know anymore. That's very very true. Uh, What we do know, though, is that Frost won't be providing any more information because he is now a zombie tied to a nearby tree. Uh, Pope and Carver seem to be really happy to see each other. They go back inside, and the episode ends with Daryl and Leah standing outside. They exchange a glance while Frost just kind of growls away attached to this tree. Uh, yep. But you're absolutely right. I hadn't actually even really thought about that, that maybe Frost uh, gave up Daryl and Pope is now just playing along a little bit, right? So Why wouldn't, uh, well, if Pope knew about Daryl, why wouldn't he just shoot him in the face? You know, that'd be the logical thing to do. You lied to me, pow, done. Yeah, but I think for dramatic purposes, they could, they could uh, stretch that out for a while. And oh yeah, I mean from uh, from a you know a theater point of view, and we know that <laughs> all these people are. I'm really shitting on theater people, and I really don't mean to, because I like the theater, and I've known lots of theater people in my life, 
And uh, they're all good people. Of course. I mean, never date an actor because actors never stop acting. But other than that, <laughs> they're really nice people. Of course. <laughs> I, I fully agree with you. Uh, but a lot of theatrics going on here with uh, various yes, groups. Yes, very theatrical. Totally. All right. I'm going to play a holy crap here from listener Susan. Hi, this is Susan from Ocean Grove. Holy crap. Barrel people in the walls. Daryl turning into a reaper by torturing Frost. Lauren Ridloff's acting was superior to anyone on that series. When they turned off the sound as she was trying to figure out what was going on in that house, I was mesmerized. My only question is, how could she hug Kelly at the end? After applying all that gormiflage. Yuck! Glad to hear Jason's voice on Saturday. Hope you're well. Be careful out there. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you so much, Susan. So I agree with everything she said, except for the part about Daryl, like becoming a reaper. He wasn't on board. He was just executing his plan, doing what he needed to do. Yeah, he's undercover. You know, and he doesn't have to follow the uh, the police undercover rules. No. Uh, like not committing crimes. He can commit <laughs> crimes. He can he, do whatever he wants. That's right. It's Daryl Undercover. That should be the spinoff show right there. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I mean, we, I think we uh, speculated at one time that Daryl was a police officer in uh, the pre-apocalypse times. Uh, but that's not true. No, not But I thing. wish it was. Well, um... What did, what did you think of this episode, Jason? It was a little different for The Walking Dead. They did this whole horror house thing, which um, I thought at times was really creepy and kind of genuinely scary, especially when it's, you know, before we really know what's going on in there. I, I like that part of it. And I also, as Susan said, you know, Lauren Ridloff is amazing. I'm super happy to have her back. And the silent stuff to give us her perspective on things was was really cool. So I think there was a lot to like in this one. There, there was. I mean, I have a problem with the uh, the horror house thing. Uh, it sure it might be an homage to uh, horror movies of that type, but horror movies of that type are parodies of horror movies of that type. I mean, all the way it it was very much uh, indicative of uh, Evil Dead Two. Like Evil Dead 2 is an awesome fucking movie, uh, but it's kind of a spoof, right? Kind of. I mean, Evil Evil Dead 2 is essentially a remake of Evil Dead 1. Evil Dead 1 was an actual horror movie, and I fucking loved it. Evil Dead 2 is very tongue-in-cheek. I I mean, it is... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it is supposed to be... They're in this cabin, and all of a sudden the cabin immediately turns into the kind of cabin that doesn't have any real walls, right? right? All the walls are lattice without any plaster and you can see through everything and there's noises going on. And, uh, you know, it's an awesome movie. Don't get me wrong, but this was, uh, kind of like that, but it meant to be serious. And I had a hard time taking it seriously. I, I can see what you're saying. I, I mean, there is that element to it. Uh, but I was kind of, I was kind of on board, like other than, as I mentioned, the sliding wall thing, it was creepy, man. These people were scary and, you know, people crawling around on all fours like that, like animals is, is 
not it's not it's not like we've never seen that before right it's a horror movie thing it's it's i've seen it done a bunch of times but uh i didn't really expect it on the walking dead because think about it we have living people and we got zombies and now we kind of have something in between a little bit right where these are yeah humans they're technically alive but they're acting more like zombies than anything else so yeah and they're all dressed the same they're all wearing the same makeup they're living in the uh, a house that has uh, all kinds of crevices and weird end of hallway doorways that when you open them they are simply to a stairway down to a basement mm-hmm. uh, the layout of the house doesn't make any sense the room in the walls doesn't make any sense the clean bones in the basement dome it doesn't make any sense the huge friggin vent uh, that uh, that she crawls into is uh, it's not a warehouse. It's, you know, this is a, somebody's house, right? If this was a real house, it wouldn't have a vent like that. I don't have a vent like that. No, you don't have a vent like that. You don't even have central air, uh, or yours is not air duct heating. Yours is uh, what do you call that with the water crap? Radiators. Radiators. That's them. Uh, you know, I have there's vents all through my house. I can't fit in any of them. My son can't fit in any of them. I'm not even sure I my cat could have fit in any of them, and she was pretty small. Right. Well. So but, I had a hard time taking this house seriously. I hear you. That's my problem. I, and the fact that they were all dressed exactly the same. Sure, they might have been gone. They might have gone crazy. You know, they're too far gone. Uh, they're acting like, uh, you know, wild people uh, that raised by wolves kind of thing. But wouldn't it would wouldn't they all be like slightly different? instead of all dressed exactly the same, behaving exactly the same. Yeah, you're probably right. And I I also, at first, was thinking, like, these people wouldn't survive very long like this, would they? I mean, they'd still need to eat. They still need to uh, yeah. do all of the things that humans do. Like, are, are they're not... They're not using their toilet anymore. Like, what do they, go out into the woods to take a shit and then come back in the house? I mean, maybe. I don't know. But well, it, they're awfully clean, so I assume that they've got some kind of sanitation system. Something. Uh, they picked those bones clean, and they did yeah. not poop near those bones, because we'd see it. Yeah, we would definitely see it. Now, I don't want... We've already nitpicked it a little bit too much, I think, in for my personal comfort level on this one, because I do think the episode did a good job in creeping me out and, you know, making this a scary, fun story to watch, if, if nothing else. Um, but again, there's some things like everything you've mentioned that don't really hold up to too much scrutiny, but I'm willing to let those go for this one because it's, it's the walking dead, you know, trying something a little different, which I'm fine with. And for the most part, I had a fun time with it. Okay. That's, that's where I sit. Other, other than that, I like this episode, like (laughs) I said. So overall, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was well done. Thought the acting was well done. I liked the silent parts as well. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I think I think overall, I just I just keep harping on the uh, harping on those gray wild people. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let us know what you guys think. Um, send in your comments and stuff for the feedback show coming later this week, and we'll see what the consensus is. All right, it is that time once again, everyone, for us to choose a winner of our weekly. Talking Dead, Walking Dead Season 11 prize pack that we're going to be sending out. So before we do that, I just want to send a thank you out there to some new patrons who have joined up at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That would be Sally, Kurt, 
and Eric G. So thank you to the three of you for recently becoming patrons. You will be part of all future uh, future draws for a prize, assuming you stay on as patrons. Um, and if you want to get in on that, anyone else, like I said, you can do that at patreon.com slash the talking dead. And we're going to choose one of our patrons every week to send out kind of a cool prize pack too. So this week's prize, Jason, is a three-parter. Three parts. There's three things in this one. The first item is a Clementine hat. So if you are familiar with the Telltale Walking Dead video game, you will be familiar with the character of Clementine. She had a very distinctive hat that she wore throughout all the chapters of the game, and I have one of those. So Clementine's hat is in this prize pack. Also... Some of uh, a replica of Abraham's dog tags. So you remember Abraham? He had some I dog sure tags. Do. And I have got a set of those that you can wear around your neck or just hang up in your house somewhere if you want. And finally, a small pack of The Walking Dead stickers. So we've got a hat, some dog tags, and some stickers. Nice. In this week's prize pack. Yeah. So, Jason, it's that exciting time of every podcast where you throw all the names into some sort of container and pull out this week's winner. So let's do it. Who have you got? So what I did this time was I simply wrote a table of, uh, of uh, the people that were eligible. And then uh, what I'm, gonna, I'm just going to roll a D100 and see, uh, see where we land. Okay, a D100. That's amazing. All right, 78. So 78 down the table here. That's Angel C. Angel C, number 78. You are the lucky winner this week. Excellent work. Uh, I hope everyone could hear Jason rolling his D100 there, because I did. (laughs) Good times. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you very much to everyone for being a patron. And Angel C, I will be in touch via email uh, about sending out the prize pack. As I said... Winners are pulled from all active patrons. You can join at any time. So if you want to get in on the action, go to patreon.com slash the talking dead. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up here for the podcast today. We will be back later this week on Thursday with our feedback show. So we want to hear from you. If you have some thoughts or comments or questions or clarifications, anything like that about this episode of The Walking Dead, absolutely go to talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top to record a message and have it sent right into us. That's a great way to do it. Or you could record yourself on your phone, speaking your comments and your thoughts, and then email us that file. To do that, you can send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, where I'm tweeting a little bit more and interacting with people. I'm kind of getting into it, so uh, I'm, I don't know why I couldn't do this all these years, but suddenly here we are using Twitter. And our Facebook page is still shut down, so sadly, don't look it for us on Facebook. Well, if it weren't for Facebook being shitheads, uh, we, wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't have you on the Twitterverse. I know, it's true. So maybe it's a silver lining. I don't know. We will have to see. Uh, Just so you know, Jason, I did tweet out on your behalf a thank you because, you know, a lot of people wrote in with their concern and their well wishes when you had your little head accident. So I wanted them to know that you knew that, uh, you know, you were thankful for that. Well, I I appreciate you doing that, Chris, and I appreciate everybody that uh, that, uh, tweeted 
uh, you know, they're well wishing and it's uh, very much appreciated. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing well. I have no, uh, uh, cognitive issues that <laughs> didn't pre-exist. <laughs> uh, it's just a, a physical injury. And to be quite honest, I'm hoping that one of the, my largest hopes that what comes out of this is that, uh, it knocks some sense into me. Well, so, you know, I can, o- I can only hope so far it's, you see, you know, it's on the fence, but, uh, we'll see how it turns out in the next week or so. All right. That's excellent news. Glad to hear you're doing all right. All right, everyone. Uh, that's it for this podcast. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.